And in that conversation, he remarked that he is now version 2.0 of himself, and he's asking God to change him continually. And he even said at the end, he said, you know, I'm really looking forward to version 4.0. And that made me think of an experience I had with a company that unfortunately any of you who are 20 and younger never had the privilege of really engaging with this company, and that is America Online. Now, you might remember America Online is how it was known before. People just said AOL. And if you ever used it, you are certainly going to remember logging on to America Online. This is how long it took to get on the internet. And you waited. And you waited. How many of you have never done this in your life? How many of you, raise your hand, you've never logged on America Online? You are blessed. And then you would keep waiting, you'd wait for it. Bringing back some memories. And then it would give you an error, remember? And then you'd have to do it again and again and again. So here's what would happen for those of you who are 20 or younger. You would have a computer with a modem that would be plugged into a phone line. No such thing as wireless. And then they'd give you these CDs that say America Online on them. The problem with these CDs, too, is they would send you them seemingly every day of your life, right? You would get these all the time, and what that would do is that would upgrade your program, which would get you into a whole new virtual world. And uh, the idea here is that an upgrade would be better than the last version, right? 4.0, they really want you to be excited about that. And uh, an upgrade is something that it's better than the old version, it improves what's already there. Now, every year, my family has a tradition, and we go apple picking as a way to enter the fall and make some memories. I've got a picture of that. There's Erica in 2010, and then there's us last year. Now, in 2012, we lived in Florida, and apple picking just wasn't an option. See, we had moved in August, so that fall, for the first time ever, we didn't go. Now, we did go pumpkin picking in, uh, let's see, it would have been about 92 degrees in October. I don't know if you know this or not, but pumpkins melt. Seriously, South Florida, pumpkins melt. I'd rather not relive that. So in 2013, I said, this is not going to happen again. So we had to change things up a little bit. No apple trees in Florida. So we went to a citrus farm to pick oranges, right? And this was quite an experience for us. But when we got there and we started picking citrus, there was never a time when one of my kids came to me and said, Dad, why do these apples look so weird? Right? Why are they so squishy? I mean, they were, seriously, Dad, where have you taken us? This is, this is supposed to be apple trees, right? No, of course not. I mean, my kids know that they're citrus trees, and that's what you're going to get is citrus. Now, at this point, some of you are thinking, wow, I got up and went to church this morning to listen to a guy talk about America Online and fruit. Well, that's a little harsh and impatient of you to think that, and maybe you're wondering if we're going to get to the Bible soon. Again, just calm down, stop yelling. But just for you, let's go there. Galatians chapter 5 talks about what is produced from people, both from the flesh, that's on our own, the flesh is our humanity, as well as from the spirit, which is when the spirit of God is working us. Galatians chapter 5 says this, starting in verse 19. It says that the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual morality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this, and you can underline this next part, will not inherit the kingdom of God. And uh, that's for another time. Verse 22, a great word, but 
right? God doesn't leave us there. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And so the acts of the flesh, they are obvious. These are things that do not reflect God. Um, They are things that show us why we need God. We need him to change us. And when he does start changing us, instead of the acts of the flesh, uh, the fruit of the Spirit starts being produced from us. And those are the things listed in verse 22. But look at the first one mentioned. It is love. Now love is best defined as you before me. Love is not a feeling. Do you know that? Love is an action. There are feelings associated with it. But love is an action, not a feeling. And 1 John 4.19 says this about love. It says we love because he first loved us. Lest any of us for a moment think that love is our thing, it's actually God's thing. Actually, earlier in 1 John 4, it says that God is love. I mean, this is just who he is. He is love. You cannot know love without knowing God. You can show love, you can feel love, but it's a lesser degree because God's love is bigger, God's love is greater, God's love is stronger, and it's perfect. And so he loves us, and he enables us to love. And so if you're a follower of Jesus in this place this morning, you have experienced the love of God. Romans chapter 2 verse 4 says that God's kindness, God's love, is what leads us to repentance. And so that means if you're a follower of Jesus, there was a point in your life when you experienced God's love, you were going, wrong, uh, going along in life, just kind of doing your thing, thinking, you know, uh, I'm too sexy for my shirt kind of thing, and you're just like, and all of a sudden, God just got your attention, and you decided to go in a different direction after experiencing God's love. Romans 2.4, God's kindness leads us to repentance. And then, as he starts to change us, we start to love others in a new way. However, as we grow in our faith, the fruit of the Spirit keeps growing. And that means our love keeps growing. Now, when I was in high school, I used to listen to a song by the greatest Christian rock band that ever existed, Petra. (laughs) Who's ever listened to Petra? Thank you. I feel, these are my people. Um, And there was a line in one of their songs that said, there's a higher place to go where we reach the next plateau. And so, loved ones, this morning, we are going to talk about the next place to go when it comes to love. Because the fruit of the Spirit, what's produced from us is love. And so if you're a believer, you should be growing in love. And so this morning is about moving forward. It's about having an upgrade to that next plateau. And that's what we're calling Love 2.0. Let's take a moment. Let's pray. Let's ask God to um, do what only he can do in our lives. And so, Father, I just want to stop here and just acknowledge our need to grow in love. And I, and I I don't... presume to know what you're going to do until you do it, but I know that there's a reason you want this message proclaimed in this place this morning. And so give us open hearts, free us from the distractions, and help us to hear from you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So earlier this month when I was up here, we were in 1 Corinthians, and we talked about how Paul led the church at Corinth, and he wrote them letters known as First First and Second Corinthians, or I think Donald Trump called them 1 and 2 Corinthians. The first of book is about answering their questions about doctrine, right? The church at Corinth had questions about doctrine and rebuking them for worldly living. And during one of his visits to Corinth, Corinth is in Greece, likely his third visit, Paul wrote a letter to the church at Rome, which is cleverly named Romans. He wrote this letter to teach doctrine and to encourage believers. Paul himself was a citizen of Rome, and he had never visited the church there. 
but he had a real heart for them. And so he wanted to introduce them to himself while hopefully bringing them encouragement. And so we're going to be in Romans chapter 14 this morning. Go ahead and find that in your Bible. And we're talking about the next place to go as we grow in love. And so let me ask you a question to get started. Have you ever noticed that there are things about following Jesus that the Bible does not specifically address and that committed, sincere followers of Jesus disagree on? Let me ask that again. Have you ever noticed that there are things about following Jesus in the Bible or that the Bible does not specifically address that sincere, committed followers of Jesus disagree on? Um, Should a Christian gamble, get a tattoo, have a drink of alcohol? Should a follower of Jesus watch certain movies? Should they go to a club to dance? How should a believer eat? Should a believer read certain books, play certain video games, or pierce certain parts of their body? Christian schools or public schools? Halloween or no way? Bible college or public university? Should women work outside the home or are they called to be home and raise the kids? I should duck after that one. Um, Republican or Democrat or none of the above? Should the church sing hymns or newer songs? And there's so many of those. Now, raise your hand if you have a strong opinion on anything I just mentioned. We had a lot of liars in this room. I just want to say there are a lot. Every single person in here has a strong opinion on at least one thing that I said, whether you will admit it or not. So if that person next to you didn't raise your hand, you can lovingly let them know that they're lying in church. And so what are we supposed to do about this? Well, Romans 14 comes into play, but time out, time out. I want to be super clear that the issues that we're going to address are not things the Bible is clear about. God has said certain things about how we're to live. Remember Galatians 5, the acts of the flesh are obvious. There are things concerning how we interact with others and how we live with character and integrity. The Bible says certain things about God's plan for sexuality and the way that we're to live our lives before a holy God. These things are not negotiable. Tell the person next to you, say they're not negotiable. That was really enthusiastic. I'm feeling it. Romans 14 is not going to be whether or not you feel it's okay to lie or not. Okay? It's not. It's sin. Romans 14 is not going to be about whether or not you think it's okay to have intimate relations with someone you're not married to or to distort biblical sexuality in another way. It's not okay. It's sin. Romans 14 is not going to be about whether or not you feel like it's okay to be selfish, to be angry, to be drunk, to be envious. It's not okay. That's sin. If you're tracking with me, give me a nod. Give me a nod. All right, that helps. So what do we do about the gray areas, if you will? What do we do about things that the Bible does not specifically address and followers of Jesus disagree on? Well, I'm glad you asked. I have a whole message about that. So let's dive in. Romans 14, starting with verse 1. Accept the one whose faith is weak, without quarreling over disputable matters. One person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. Just a side note, I had a teenager once that made that his life verse because he loved to eat meat. So whenever we'd be somewhere, he would be like, hey, your faith is weak if you're eating vegetables. That's out of context, just to go on record. The the one who eats everything, verse 3, must not treat with contempt the one who does not. And the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted them. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own masters, servants stand or fall, and they will stand, for the Lord is able to make them stand. Three things from Romans 14, and the first is this, accept each other. Look at the first verse. It says, accept the one whose faith is weak. Now, now for you and I, we hear the word weak, and immediately we have a negative reaction. 
I can't imagine many of you came to this place this morning and said, you know, if I'm honest, there are some things and some areas in my life that I really want to get weaker in, right? That's not, that's not our normal reaction. So let me, before we explain these verses, let me, let's understand what Paul means by the one whose faith is weak. You see, when a person comes to know Jesus, their knowledge of God is low and limited. It's like when I met my wife, Leslie, in 1994. I mean, I liked her, but I didn't really know her that well. And now, 22 years later, I would not say that I am weak in knowledge of her, even though I feel like it some days, right? All the husbands are like, yeah, heck yeah. Um, But in Paul's way of thinking, the weak and strong are both radically God-centered people. They are deeply thankful people. The differences are in their convictions about what behaviors are unclean, what behaviors give more glory to God. See, the weak are not bad. They are just not as knowledgeable about God as some people. Just like I'm 40 years old, I've been following Jesus now for uh, over 20 years. There are some people who have been following Jesus for over 40 years, and their knowledge of God is far greater than mine. And Paul says, look, accept them. God has accepted them. Don't judge them, because God is able to make them stand. But what's happening here, excuse me, is that there are people who just viewed it as more spiritual to not eat meat. It's that simple. Vegetarians. Now, yes, there's other parts uh, in the New Testament where Paul talks about meat offered to idols. It doesn't seem like that's what he's talking about. But the newer believers were getting pretty upset at the mature believers, saying, how could you eat that meat? You should not eat meat if you're going to be a true, sincere follower of Jesus. And the mature believers are like looking down on them going, dude, I'm going to eat the meat. What's your deal? Let's look back at the text, all right? Let's reread it. Accept the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. Because one person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another eats only vegetables. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not. Look at verse 4. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? Because to their own master, servants stand or fall. Paul says, to their own master, they stand or fall. He's saying, look, God has accepted this person, and so should we. And in the day of judgment, they're going to stand before God. And Jesus will be in their place as a believer the same way it is for the mature believer. So let's, let's get practical. Let's say you feel really strongly about tattoos. Like you love them and you have several. And Paul's saying, hey, if there's somebody who feels like it would be wrong for them to get one, you need to accept them. Maybe you hate tattoos and you quote Old Testament verses uh, to demonstrate them as, as wrong. And Paul's saying, you know what? Accept the person who feels differently from you and has them. And see, believers should accept each other. And I got to be honest, as I was preparing for this, this is the first time I've really thought about it from both directions, because we often hear, don't judge the one with. But what about the person that says, no, I, I think it would be wrong for me to get one. Well, we need to accept them too. Now, everybody make a closed fist, right? Make a closed fist. Please don't punch anyone. Um, there are some things in our lives that we should hold with a closed fist. Things like salvation, right? This is a, Jesus is the only way to heaven. We should hold that with a closed fist. How we should interact with each other according to God's word. Uh, moral behaviors like lying, adulting, uh, adultery, um, stealing, outbursts of angers. Now make an open hand. Because there's some things that should be in an open hand. Things that believers are free to do, but people have differing opinions on. Things like the list I read earlier. And Maybe you're sitting here going, oh man. If someone thinks it's okay to have a tattoo, I would like to share some things with them. Well, I want to share with you the truth of 2 Timothy 2.23. I love this scripture. Don't have anything to do with foolish or stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels. Boy, we love to debate, right? 
We want people to see things the way that we do. And Paul says, hey, sometimes don't even bother because some people, they just want to argue. How often, like this is like arguing on the internet, right? How often have you seen an internet, internet argument and the person was like, oh, yeah, you're right. I'm changing my view on that. Next time you want to argue, look at 2 Timothy 2, uh, 23 here. Have nothing to do with them because they produce quarrels. And the idea here is to accept each other. See, I hold on to that verse often because there are sometimes I'm like, no, you're wrong. You're wrong. No, I need to just step back and accept each other. If you've surrendered your life to Jesus, then you are a part of the family of God. And we need to accept each other despite some differences in how we view things the Bible's not specific on. All right, let's move on. Verse 5, Romans 14. One person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in his own mind. The, excuse me, verse 6. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. Whoever eats meat does so to the Lord. For they give thanks to God. And whoever abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives for ourselves alone. And none of us dies for ourselves alone. Verse 8. If we live, we live for the Lord. And if we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this reason, Christ died and returned to life so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. You know, repetition is kind of an important thing in the Bible. And there's a word there that's repeated eight times. What is it? Eight times? Yes, Lord. That's right. Eight times. Eight times. I, I was going to show you in my Bible that I've got it underlined all eight times. So what is, what's the point here? What's the Acknowledge your Lord. That's the second big point. There are two parts to this, but let's start with the first one. Look at verse 5. It says, each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. You see, if you think one day is more sacred, if you think meat should be eaten, if you think playing cards for money is okay, if you think it's okay to have a drink, if you think that Christian school is the way to go, you better be fully convinced in your own mind and then doing it to the Lord. I mean, you see that phrase there? It's three times just in verse 6, to the Lord. You see, this isn't all about what you think. You know, well, I think it's okay. I, I, I don't see any harm in it. Well, verse 7 says we don't live for ourselves. Verse 8 says we belong to the Lord. See, this is what happens when you surrender your life to Jesus. The word Lord means master or owner. You have freedom because of what Jesus has done for you. But the believer says, God, I surrender that freedom and I willingly choose to surrender to you because you are the Lord of my life. And so in those gray areas, are you fully convinced that it's something you can do to the Lord? Now, now some of you were really excited after that first point. You were like, that's right, accept me. I can do what I want. And now you're feeling a little more uncomfortable. It's going to get worse, so just hang with me. Um, See, so often the Christian who has questionable practices in his or her own life, his or her own life, cannot honestly say that these things are done to the Lord. In the reality, they're practiced for selfish pleasure and not to honor the Lord. Acknowledge your Lord. Be fully convinced in your own mind. See, this is a personal thing. He's the Lord. Wrestle through these things with him. And hear this. Just because you have freedom doesn't mean you should, you should use freedom. Let me say that again. Just because you have freedom doesn't mean you should use freedom. Um, I've shared this story before, but on my uh, 18th birthday, I decided I was going to go buy a pack of cigarettes. Uh, I grew up in a home of smokers and wasn't planning on starting, but thought, hey, why not? 
And so I went with my two friends, Steve and Kevin. Uh, that's right, I had two friends. And um, uh, don't judge me. And, and I bought a pack of cigarettes. And uh, I'm pretty sure they were uh, Marlboro Reds. And we sat outside a convenience store. And I smoked a cigarette. And I thought, no disrespect to those of you who smoke. This is really dumb. I said, I just paid how much for this? And that was it? Yeah, I'm not going to do this. So I went to throw them out. My friend Kevin goes, hey, don't throw them out. Let me have them. I said, what are you going to do with them? He goes, I don't know. I'll give them to somebody or something. All right, here you go. Kevin and I didn't hang out that often. About a year later, I was downtown Wheaton, Illinois at a coffee house. Ran into Kevin with some people. He was smoking a cigar. I said, since when do you smoke? He goes, funny story. Remember when you gave me that pack of cigarettes? Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, I smoked the whole thing, and I've smoked ever since. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> you know, just because you have freedom doesn't mean you should use freedom. Kevin was a younger believer at that time. That was not a smart thing. That was not wise for me. This is why in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 23, Paul says, I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. Accept each other? Yes. But when it comes to your own convictions, recognize that Jesus is your Lord. If you can do these behaviors, they need to be done to the Lord. And, and, then, and then the thing is, if they're just about you, it's a problem. Now, I said there were two parts to this. Here's the second, verse 10. You then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Or why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will acknowledge God. So then, each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. Now you need to be convinced in your own mind about your behavior, but in these areas, you need to let others work through them because they will give account to their Lord, as will you. Because both sides can honor God in their choices, there are likely strong, growing believers on both sides of many of these things. But yes, in relationship, you should discuss, you should question, challenge in love, Right? This is something you do one-on-one -on -one with someone you have a relationship with. You know, if you walk into church and someone's out there smoking, that's not the time to be like, so tell me, why do you think it's okay to do that? No, eh, don't do that. You don't know them. You don't have a relationship. That, that's not, you, you're not accepting them. But somebody that you have a relationship with, somebody that you know, there's nothing wrong with saying, hey, so tell me about this. Help me understand this. You wrestled through that. that that's what we should be doing as followers of Christ. Not on social media, not in passive-aggressive behavior, but in love one-on-one, -on -one, asking the questions, but then accepting. Let, let me illustrate with an example from the Bible. It's always a good place to <laughs> pull out an example. Uh, at the end of the book of John, Peter was restored by Jesus after having denied him three times. And Peter turns, and he sees John, and so then he has this uh, little interaction with Jesus in John 21. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John, was following them. Now this is the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper, and said, Lord, who is going to betray you? And Peter saw him, and he says, hey, Lord, what about him? And Jesus says this, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what's that to you? You follow me. And I love that line. What's it to you? You worry about you. You follow me, Peter. What I do with him, not your concern. How about you do things to follow me, he does things to follow me, and, and I'll deal with the rest, because I'm, I'm, I'm perfectly capable of that, right? And, and so your takeaway here is to acknowledge your Lord, to look at your life right now. Are there things that you are doing that are not commanded, are prohibited in the Bible, 
that you're not doing to the Lord. You see, accept each other, but then acknowledge your Lord because each should be fully convinced in their own mind. Take them to him. Get his perspective. Have you done that? Realize who he is in your life. He is Lord, and you've given him authority over your life because you love him, because he loves you, because he is good. All right, well, it's about to get real up in here. And so everybody just take a deep breath. I'm going to take a drink. Tell the person next to you, say it's going to be okay. All right, I hope. All right, accept each other, acknowledge your Lord, and finally, actively build up others. Actively build up others. See, Paul starts out, verse 14, by just killing all suspense. He says, look, you want to know where I stand on all this? Those who won't eat the meat, they're wrong. The meat's not unclean. But for them, it's unclean, so that's how it is for them. So verse 21, here's what Paul does about it. He doesn't eat the meat. Hold on, Paul. Come on, bro. You literally just told me that it's okay to eat the meat, that you didn't think it was wrong. Correct. But then you're not going to eat it. That's right. But you could eat the meat in good conscience. Right. But you don't. Yeah. Why? Because of verse 15. If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. And you should underline that. Do not, by your eating, destroy someone for who Christ died. Why? Because of love 2.0. He does it for others. Because love is you before me. So if my choices are affecting you, I'm going to make different choices. Because I don't want to tear down what God is building up. Now, how many of you have ever been to Market Square Arena when it was around? All right, well, on July 8th, 2001, it was destroyed much like the uh, Pacers championship hopes at the end of every season. <laughs> Am I wrong? It's not like I said go Bulls, but um, as you can see, oh wait, I did, my bad. As you can see, this was an intentional thing, right? There wasn't a guy sitting there that goes, what's this button do? <laughs> Oops, right? But it was an intentional destruction, and I think the visual here reflects what we inadvertently do to other believers when we don't live out love 2.0. I think the visual here reflects what happens when we don't build up others, we destroy them. But we do it unintentionally, but that was definitely intentional. And so I want you to have that image in mind as we go to this final point, actively build up others, because there's four things, and then we'll be done. I'm going to make these personal. They're going to be from the first person. And the first one is this, that my choices impact others. This is all under actively build up others. Starting in verse 13, my choices impact others. Therefore, verse 13, <clears throat> let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind to not put any stumbling block. Boy, this is good stuff. Make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. Obviously, a brother or sister in faith. I am convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is, unclean in, is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person, it is unclean. If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love, and do not by your eating destroy someone for who Christ died. You see, there are things that we are free to do as followers of Jesus, but we choose not to do them. We choose not to do them because we don't want to ever put something in the way of, a growth, of the growth of another. Even though we ourselves don't think those things are wrong, we don't do them. This is called sacrifice. 
right? We are giving it up for the sake of others. If it's causing someone's distress, then it's a problem. We don't, don't tear down others with your actions. Some of you might right now go, oh, well, then I'm good because no one's affected by what I'm doing. You don't know that. Are you sure? Have you, have you taken this to the Lord and said, boy, I don't know about this. Let's work through this. So you're trying to say that there are things that, are, that aren't wrong, but I don't do them because they might appear wrong. Yes. Are you saying that I should choose not to do things because someone else might think it's evil? Yes. You might say, well, I can do what I want. And I'll say, yes, you can. But are you doing it to the Lord because your choices will impact others? Over the past uh, couple decades I've been in ministry, I've worked with a lot of ministry leaders. And one of the challenges I've heard many times uh, from people both above and beside me is to have a higher, work to a higher standard. It's so much harder nowadays in the social media age because everyone sees our Facebook posts, our Instagram posts, our Snapchats. Excuse me. There might be nothing wrong with behaviors, but our choices impact others. So wait a minute. Are you saying that because someone sees me do this on social media that they're going to just think it's okay and they're going to go do it? No, that's, a, that's an immature perspective. What I'm saying here is they're going to see you using your freedom but not understand it. What I'm saying is they might view that thing very differently than you do. What I'm saying is you might be the best representative of Jesus in someone's life and the things that associate you more with the world than with Jesus might cause harm that you don't see. Let me say that again. You might be the best representative of Jesus in someone's life and the things that associate you more with the world than with Jesus might cause more harm than you see. Right? That's not what we want to do. Love 2.0, though, is not just for ministry leaders. It's for everyone. Everyone say that. Say, it's for everyone. All right, you're still awake. This is good. Um, See, I didn't write Romans 14. You have to decide in these times, is it God's word or isn't it? Because we don't get to pick and choose. It's not a buffet, right? We take the whole counsel of God and we say, God, you are my Lord. Speak to me. Make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. So, quick side note, if you're here and you're thinking, oh man, so-and-so definitely should not be making this choice because it is impacting me. To that, I would say, if you can quote the verse about being the weaker brother, you likely aren't the weaker brother. And so, it's time for you to stop worrying about everybody else and consider how you can build others up, not how others can build you up. And so, let's move on. I think of what is that to you? You must follow me. Second thing is, know, I must know my priorities. Verse 16. Therefore, do not let what you know is good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating or drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. So if you know something is good, don't let that thing be used for evil. See, it's your conviction, but don't let you doing that thing lead others into sin. Because Paul, he is super confident that there is nothing wrong with eating meat, but others think it's unclean. So he says, well, I'm not going to take this good thing, eating meat, and let it be used for sin, so I'm just not going to do it. it. But the thing is, in all of this, it's he's saying, but it's not my main focus. See, I'm not all about the issue at hand. Don't be the person who's all about your freedoms. Don't be the person who's all about what you can do or what you can't do. It's time to grow up and know your priorities. See, Love 2.0 says that we'll do certain things, we'll not do certain things, but ultimately, we're not even focusing on those things because 
The kingdom of God, verse 17, is not a matter of eating or drinking, but of righteousness. Righteousness is being more like Jesus. Peace with God and with others. And joy. Joy is the settled confidence of God's goodness in all things. Ultimately, it's really all about pleasing God. So know your priorities. Focus on the things in the closed hand and ask God to make you version 2.0, 3.0, 4.0, and so forth. I must know my priorities. And the third thing, I will help others grow. Verse 19 says, Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean, but it is wrong for a person to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or to do anything else that will cause your brother or sister to fall. You know, I don't want to pick any certain behavior, but let me just ask this. If you knew that you ceasing to do that behavior would build up another in Christ, would you stop doing it? If you knew that you doing that behavior was tearing others down, would you stop? Because the question is what leads to peace and mutual, um, mutual edification or building others up. Because it's not a sin to eat meat or drink wine, but if it causes another to sin or to fall, then it is sin. Now, I want you to hear this. This is not legalism. I'm not giving you a list of the things the Bible does not address and then telling you what's wrong and what's right. If you're hearing that, you are not hearing me. What I am saying is that the mature believers need to grow in love, putting others before them, and the younger believers need to grow in knowledge, understanding who God is and how to live a righteous life. I'm going to say that again. The mature believers need to grow in love, putting others before them, right? Even though in your maturity and faith, you can do certain things that it's not a problem. It might be a problem for someone else, so we need to learn to put them before us. The younger believers need to grow in knowledge, understanding who God is and what it means to live a righteous life. You know, it's like when my kids were little and I was using a big cutting knife in the kitchen. That's right. I'm domestic. Don't judge me. (laughs) I would never leave the knife in a place where one of my girls could get it. Now, why? Because it could cause them harm. Because one of them would pick it up and drop it on their foot. It would have been Megan, by the way. But, uh, but see, I, I, love, I love you, Megan. Um, but I love my kids, so I would make choices to protect them. See, I'm old enough to use a big knife, but my kids were not. And so I would use it differently. And in the same way, we are believers, and there are things we can do, but we do them with caution or discretion or maybe even don't do them because of how they could impact others. Parents, Consider your behaviors and how they impact your kids. I could go off for a long time about the number of times I've dealt with teenagers who do things they shouldn't or they don't do things they should. And in conversation, I learned that it's a direct reflection of their parents. God help us all. Let's move on. Number four, I will hold my own convictions. I will hold my own convictions. Verse 22, so whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. I'm just going to stop and explain that. He's not saying don't talk about them, right? But what he's saying is don't try to convince everybody else that you're right. If you have one of these issues and you're just like, I'm just going to use because it's a political season, if you're like this hardcore Republican, you don't need to be trying to convince someone else to be a Democrat. You know, that's, that's just not how it is. Verse 22 says, Blessed is the one who does not condemn himself by what he approves. Verse 23, But whoever has doubts is condemned if they eat, because their eating is not from faith. And everything that does not come from faith is sin. 
You see, sin isn't always about what you do or don't do. It's really defined in its root. If you think something might be wrong and you do that thing, then it's wrong for you. Right? Like I said, keeping it between you and yourself, God, is not about, it, it, it's really um, about trying, not trying to get everyone else to share your conviction. And so I'm all about, you know, honesty in church. And so I'll share it. So I have this, this issue where sometimes when I'm really discouraged, when I'm really burdened, when I struggle with anxiety, uh, I like to try to eat my way out of it. Um, and uh, I don't like eat one cookie. I eat like one row of cookies, right? And some of you are thinking, yeah, obviously. Um, but like, that's a real problem for me. And I didn't really think of it as sin. And this year, God really revealed to me that uh, I wasn't taking care of myself. I hadn't been to a doctor in years. Uh, definitely didn't work out. I make fun of people who run. I mean, and that's, I'm sorry, running is, looks terrible. I'm like, why would you do that on purpose unless you're running from somebody? Um, it doesn't make sense. But see, the problem here is that unbelief is the root of all sin. And so when we do things without considering God, when we take things into our own hands and we refuse to consider how that choice will impact us living everyday life with Jesus and helping others do the same, then that is sin. And so this year, God revealed to me that the ignoring of my physical health in many ways was impacting my spiritual life. You see, it's probably not wrong for you to eat a bunch of Chips Ahoy cookies when you get home, but it's wrong for me. It's probably not wrong for you to not work out, uh, but, but it's, become, it's become wrong for me. And so... Um, now you all know, so if I'm standing up here in a few months and I don't look a little different, you can give me a hard time. Um, but see, the thing is, once I interacted with God on these things, once I went to him and I'm like, really? Like, this is a thing? Let's talk about this? I started to realize I was not acting out of faith, but I was acting out of my flesh, and it was sin. Everything that is not from faith, that does not come from faith, is sin. That means everything that is not done fully convinced, everything that is not done to the Lord, is sin. And when we do not engage God with the things in our life, when we don't acknowledge him as Lord, we're refusing to believe that God's way is best. We're refusing to engage him on what we're doing and why we're doing it. We're failing to delight and trust in his promises. And the long and short of it is we are missing the life he created us to live. And so actively building others up is about recognizing that our choices impact others. It's about knowing our priorities. And it's about being intentional about helping others grow. And it's about holding our own convictions. And loved ones, this is the way we grow. This is what love 2.0 is. We accept others. We do our business with God and we acknowledge our Lord. But then we actively help others grow. And I got to believe that it's possible right now that because God's word has gone out that there are some of you that have some things that you really need to lay before him. It's possible there's some things that you need to engage God with. It's possible and probable there's some business with God that needs to happen in this place this morning. And fortunately, the next step in the service is to remember what Jesus has done for us. And so I just want to say that during that time, if you want to come up and pray by yourself or sit in your seat, you can do that. Or if you want to come up and have someone pray with you, Eric and I are up here. We'd love to do that. Now, in my role as next-gen pastor, I really have the privilege of working with all different ages from infant to college students. And if you've been around me, you know that uh, I have a real heart for college students. And so um, our, our interns are going to come up here at this time. Um, we've had the, the joy of having Hannah Bostic and uh, Becca Ubley working with us this summer. And uh, Hannah is going into her third year at Taylor University, majoring in secondary education. And Becca's going into her third year at Michigan State University, majoring in packaging science. And uh, they've been serving in the next-gen ministries um, faithfully. And they are going to lead us through